man, we are excited today to see you all and to be able to celebrate the momentous event of Christ's resurrection. Uh, Christ is alive, and that makes all the difference in the world. Today, we're going to be continuing our series through kind of several times in John's gospel where Jesus refers to him as himself as the life. And here in John chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What an appropriate text for us to look at here on Resurrection Sunday. And I pray that the Lord will just really minister to us as we open God's word and remember that life is found in Christ alone. So can we pray and ask for the Lord's help in the next few moments and then let's dive into his word together. So, Father, we are grateful that your son came to earth and lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And Lord, today, he is alive forevermore. Lord, we rejoice in the great hope of the resurrection. I pray this morning as we open your word that you would encourage us, that you would cause us to see the hope and life that we have in Christ. Would you hide me behind the cross? Would, would you help me? I need you right now. And I pray that you would help the word of God to go deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, today is Easter Sunday, and it's rightly a day of celebration. But I want to start out this message in a little bit of a you know, strange way a little bit. I want us to think about some of the losses that we've experienced. You know, 2020 in particular was a rough year for a lot of people. Amen? I mean, you know, it, it impacted everybody across the board in all kinds of different ways. It, it had a global scale, and it changed our lives in deeply uh, personal and impacting way. But here, here's the other thing. Each one of you experienced the last year in different ways, right? Some of us were impacted by all kinds of things, but each of us had our own sense of personal loss. Maybe you lost a loved one during this time who passed away because of coronavirus or complications. Or, or, or maybe you had a job opportunity that was a sure thing and the door closed on that because of the way that things are going. Or maybe you had a long-awaited anniversary trip or a birthday or a vacation you were really looking forward to and... The doors were shut on that. What I'd actually like us to do before we dive into the hope that is in Christ is actually to just take a minute and reflect on some of the things that we have lost. So will you right now, with somebody sitting next to you, would you just take about 30 seconds to a minute to share some of the things that you have lost over the last year? And it doesn't have to be big. It can be a little thing. But I'd like you to just talk about that for one minute. So ready, set, go. All right. Hey, just shout some of those out. What are some of the things you talked about there? What are some of the things you lost? Graduation. Graduation, yeah. Sleep, okay, yeah. Not seeing friends. Grandchildren, yeah, yeah. Everybody go counsel David on that. I'm sure that was particularly painful. Yeah. Well, travel, very good. What's that? Loved ones, loved ones. You know, that was not a question that you had to put a lot, a lot of thought into, right? Because we all have experienced that sense of loss. As we've navigated this past year, the ups and particularly the downs of it, I think we have all been reminded of this simple reality. Life neither guarantees certainty nor comfort. 
There's just not a guarantee in life that things will go according to plan. There's no guarantee in life that things will be easy. Who of us have not found ourselves asking questions like, when are things going to get back to normal? Now, I bring this up because in this passage in Luke chapter 11, we encounter a group of people, a family, whose lives have been disrupted. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So they're going about their thing, their, their day, and all of a sudden, Lazarus, their friend or their brother, Jesus' friend, becomes ill and eventually dies. Do you think they planned that to happen, yes or no? No, absolutely not. Life was disrupted, and in the midst of that disruption, guess what happens? Jesus steps in, and amidst the heartbreak, amidst the difficult circumstance, Jesus promises life and hope. And I think what this passage reminds us is this reality, that life can be found in Jesus, no matter what's going on around us. And what a needed reminder that is. Because we can gravitate a couple of ways as we experience difficult times. Some of us can gravitate towards hopelessness. Are things ever going to get better? I'm just so anxious. I'm, I'm filled with all these emotions of confusions. I just don't know if things will ever get back to the way they used to be. Or we can have kind of this sense of temporary hope, hopefulness. Oh, when the elections get over, or when the vaccine comes out, or when, or when, or when the next thing happens. And it's not that either of those things in and of themselves are wrong, but they miss the big picture. Because neither hopelessness or temporary hopes can bring us abiding hope. That hope, that life is found in Christ alone. And what John chapter 11 powerfully reminds us is that when the light, when the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, there is still life in Christ, right? Haven't we all felt that a little bit? That like the rug just got jerked out from underneath us and we're kind of reeling. Well, what do we do in these situations? I would encourage you based on this passage of scripture to look for life in Jesus. And that's really my point today. We must look for life in Jesus. That was true for Mary and Martha. And it remains true for us today. When you look for life in Christ, it is available to you. And I love the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Because it not only teaches us some incredibly profound theological truths, which we'll explore here in the next few moments. But it shows us a deeply personal side of the Savior. See, in John 11, Jesus is not just an observer of a story unfolding. He's actually a participant. He is an actor in the drama of human suffering and loss, which should cause us to trust him even more. Jesus didn't just kind of passively observe what was happening to these sisters. He didn't just stand by and watch the death of Lazarus. He entered into their suffering and pain with them, and that makes all the difference. So this morning, I want to briefly give you three reasons, three very short, very simple reasons why you should look for life in Christ and Christ alone. So if you're taking notes, reasons to look to Jesus for life. The first one is simply this, Jesus cares. Um, the story begins with an introduction of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Look at John chapter 11, verse number one with me, if you would. Now, a man was sick 
Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Lazarus is described here as the person that Jesus loved. He's a personal friend of the Savior. He becomes ill and his sisters want to let Jesus know. Well, I mean, I guess there are some benefits of having the Son of God as your friend, right? They're like, hey, Jesus, just FYI, our brother's sick. Maybe you have some ideas about what you could do about this? So, and then just to underscore the fact that Mary and Martha weren't exaggerating the importance of Lazarus, look at John chapter 11, verse number 5. Now, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. It's not like they just thought he loved them. He really loved them. These were personal friends of Jesus who he treasured. Then, the text takes a very interesting turn. You got to look very careful here. John chapter 11, verse number 5 again. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Verse number 6, the first word, what's it say up on the screen? Okay, you guys aren't paying attention, and it hurts my feelings, all right? The very first word of verse number 6 is? So. What? So. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Wait, 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 John, did you get something wrong here? Because you said he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so he stayed where he was. Jesus waited, not as some sort of irresponsible or uncaring friend, but Jesus stayed where he was and didn't run to their aid right away because he loved them. Now, this, this is a little bit mind-boggling. Jesus is waiting and letting Lazarus be sick and eventually die, according to the text, is an expression of his care and love for Mary and Martha. This is a helpful reminder for you and I as well. You see, sometimes when we are experiencing a hard time, which we all have recently, right? And it doesn't seem to go away right away. We're tempted to think things like, Lord, don't you care about me? Lord, have you forgotten me? God, am I on your bad side somehow? Because if you really loved me, if you really cared about me, wouldn't you make this hard time go away? God, where are you? Am I your child? Do you care about my life? I'm hurting right now. You must not care. But scripturally, this mindset could not be further from the case. The reality is, as we look at John chapter 11, and as we look at the whole of scripture, here is the truth. God's care for his people is often demonstrated through, not in spite of, life's difficulties. Let me say that again. God's care for his people is often demonstrated through, not in spite of, life's difficulties. Listen to how James says it over in James chapter 1. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. I'm like, James, are you crazy? 
I can rejoice when things are going well, but why would I take joy when I'm going through trials? Look at verse number three. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. In other words, the Lord's perspective on our difficulties and our perspective on our difficulties are often not the same thing. The Lord has a perspective on our trials that is bigger, that is fuller, that is richer than our perspective on our suffering often is. God not only knows what is happening to us, he knows what is going to happen to us through these trials. Some of you are experiencing hard things right now, right? And let's be honest. If we look at our lives, all of us could say, this is a hard thing that I'm experiencing. This is a difficulty in my life. But this is the hope that we have. Maybe in your circumstance, you are feeling afraid or angry or confused or all of them. John chapter 11 reminds us this. We must not associate God's seeming lack of action with his lack of affection. We must not associate God's seeming lack of action with his lack of affection. Let me ask you a question. Did God stop caring for Joseph when he was in prison? Yes or no? Did God stop caring for David when he was on the run from Saul? Yes or no? Did God stop caring for Ruth when her husband passed away? Yes or no? Did God stop caring for Daniel when he was in the lion's den? Yes or no? And friends, has God stopped caring for you because your life is hard? Yes or no? God's lack of action is not to be associated with his lack of affection. You know, the Lord cares for us even when life is hard. Sometimes, sometimes God brings pain into our life, listen, because he loves us. You know, as, as many of you know, I have 100 children. And, um, and I know all their names, which is amazing, right? And if you've had a little one, if you're a parent or an aunt or uncle or a nurse or something, and, and you'd had a little one and they've ever gotten a splinter in, your, in their finger, you know it is practically the end of the world. It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. It's one of those type of situations. And, and what do you have to do in order to help that little one when they get the splinter in their finger? You have to kind of get a hold of that finger and you get a needle or some tweezers And you have to dig in and hurt them a little bit. Now, when I do that to my children, they usually do not look up at me and say, Oh, Father, I trust your wise judgment. I know that it's for my best, and I will allow you to bring me pain because I know that you are good. And your mercies endure forever. No, 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 no. They don't do that. What do they do? They they scream. They wriggle. They try to pull away. And you say, no, 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 I I have to do this actually because I love you. I'm introducing this pain into your life to actually bring you healing. And look, if that's true of earthly, fallen, fallible fathers like like me, how much more true of of our heavenly father? Look, I know some of you are going through it right now. I know this year has been incredibly painful on a number of different levels. I get it. 
we're all in this boat together. We're all hurting in different ways, but we're all hurting at some degree. But do not think that just because your life is hard that God does not care. Jesus was caring for Mary and Martha and Lazarus even though Lazarus died. And Jesus is caring for you even though you're experiencing hard times in your life as well. So the first reason you should look to Jesus for life is simply this because he cares. He cares. That's not it. You should also look to Jesus for life because he comes. I love this part of the story. So Jesus does delay a couple days. But then what happens? He makes his way to Bethany. Um, he doesn't just feel bad or have a sense of like sympathy or empathy for his friends. He actually moves towards them. And after Jesus gets there and speaks with Martha, there's this encounter between him and Mary that I think is one of the most poignant stories in all of scripture. It just shows the glorious humanity of Jesus. And we see it in John chapter 11, verse number 32. Look at what it says here. Now, now remember, Mary has just lost her brother. And as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Shortest verse in all of scripture, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved them. You know, this verse is just two little words, but it is packed with meaning. You know, when you put this verse in context of all that is going around, this idea that Jesus wept is a powerful, powerful concept. Jesus wept because he grieved at the brokenness of the world in which he had come. Jesus wept because he was angry at the wrongness of death. Jesus wept because he was saddened by the people's unbelief around him. Jesus wept because he was identifying the, with the grief of his friends. Jesus wept because he knew what it would cost him to rescue mankind from all of this wrongness that was all around him. And Jesus wept ultimately because he was with his people. He had come to them. And he was right in the midst of their suffering and sorrow. And he looked at these people whom he loved and he wept. Look, Jesus did not just examine our humanity. He experienced it. Jesus is not cold and calculating towards your loss and towards your grief and towards your sorrow. He came to earth and was touched in every way like we are. In fact, that's exactly what Hebrews chapter 2 says. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way. Why? So that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus came to Mary and Martha and Jesus will come to you as well. You know, at Christmas time, we often sing Christmas carols. And it has a little line, Emmanuel or God with us in it. You know, but that idea that God with us. Us 
It's not just something we should celebrate at Christmas about the incarnation and Jesus coming and being in a stable and in a manger. That's a beautiful thing. It's not just something that theologians should talk about in the halls of academia. God with us is loaded with importance and is one of the most precious truths in the universe. Listen to me very closely, friends. God has come near to his people, especially especially when times are tough. God comes near to his people, especially when times are tough. Just listen to the words of scripture, will you? Isaiah chapter 43, verse number two. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. And the flame will not burn you. Why? Because you are precious in my sight and honored. I love you. Psalm 23, verse number 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because why? I am with you. Psalm 34, verse number 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Look, we must remember that the presence of adversity does not equal the absence of God. The presence of adversity in your life does not equal the absence of God. How many of you have ever had a migraine headache? Yeah. I, I, I get them every now and again, a couple a year. And I remember one time I just had a doozy of a headache. I mean, it was one of those like really debilitating where I was like, I, I, I don't know if I like just existing is a pain right now. Try to figure out how I can live for the next minute. And I remember Trisha coming and my wife and saying, is there anything I can do to help you? And I just like, I didn't even know, like, I don't have any words, like, nothing. And she just came and kind of, like, sat by me and held my hand and, and just was there. Like, my migraine didn't go away, but guess what? That helped. You know why? Because she was with me. She was with me in my pain. Look, in an infinitely greater way, the Son of God became a man so that he could be with you. In your suffering, in your loss, in your brokenness, in your heartache, Jesus came to earth and lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died to be with his people. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I do know this. Christ is near to his people. He is near to his people, and that makes all the difference. Number three, story's not over. Praise the Lord. Jesus cares. Jesus came. And most of all, Jesus conquers. That's why we should look to him for life. Jesus did not just attend Lazarus' funeral and say some encouraging words. You know, perhaps that's the best you or I could do, and that's a good thing. When others are experiencing loss around us, we should step into their sorrows. We should try to bring some hope and healing and encouragement, but we are not the son of God. 
Jesus can do better than just speaking some words. Jesus can bring hope in the midst of incredible loss. Verse number 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. In other words, hey, Jesus, he's not just mostly dead. He's dead, dead. Like, he's really dead. But Jesus, undeterred, presses on. Verse number 40, Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus does what for anyone else would have been absolutely nuts. He speaks to the dead man. He talks to the dead. Verse number 43. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And here's the thing. Lazarus did. The dead man heard the life of the, heard the voice of the master of life and could no longer stay in the grave. John eleven forty three. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come out!" The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, "Unwrap him and let him go." And everybody at that point said, "Yes, sir. Whatever you say." So what happened here? What happened here? Why did Jesus' command actually reverse death? Why did Jesus undo the greatest foe that mankind has ever faced? I mean, if you or I went over to the local funeral home and began talking to corpses, the only thing that would happen there would be a restraining order. But when Jesus talks, corpses come to life. Why? Thankfully, we don't have to speculate because back in verse number 25, Jesus tells us exactly why. Look at what it says. John eleven twenty-five. 25. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, the Savior himself, according to his own words, Jesus does not just give life. He is life. Jesus is not just the the owner of life. He's not just the one that distributes life. In him is life itself. And because of this, because of this reality, death has no power over which Jesus lays claim. That is why he says back in verse number 25, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Here's how we need to think about it. If you trust in Christ, your life gets so bound up, so wrapped together with the life of Jesus, that if death comes knocking, it cannot extinguish the life that is in you. Jesus basically shares the life that is in him with those who trusted him so that when you believe in Christ, you can't really die in the way that matters. Yes, your physical body can pass away, but you, the essential you, the one, the the whole of you, if you're trusting in Christ, you will never die. To put it very plainly, the king of life 
freed his people from the tyranny of death. When you trust in Christ, his life becomes your life. And listen, his life isn't going anywhere. He already went into the tomb and emerged unscathed. He cannot die. And those who trust in him will never die as well. You see, in a sense, the story of Lazarus is not really about Lazarus. It's about all of us. All of us, like Lazarus, live in a world where death is inevitable. All of us, like Lazarus, are completely powerless to resurrect ourselves. And all of us, like Lazarus, can only escape the grave if somebody comes to our rescue. We're unable to escape the grave in our own power. And this is why it is such good news that Jesus cares. He cares about powerless people like you and I who are wrecked by sin and brokenness and we live in a broken world. And Jesus comes. This is why it is good news that Jesus comes. Because in your heartbreak, in your suffering, in your powerlessness, Jesus has drawn near to you. The incarnation, the fact that God became man is not something that we should just write in some sort of theological textbook. It's our only hope in the world. The fact that Jesus came to be a man to rescue men like us. And the fact that Jesus conquers is good news. Because look, if you trust in the work of Christ, death is not your master. You serve a new king and his name is Jesus. And Satan and hell and the grave already took their best shot. And listen, they lost. So it is good news that Jesus conquered the grave. Because of him, we have life. Life is available to everyone and anyone who would trust in Jesus. Look, I know it's been a tough year. I don't want to minimize that in any way. But friends, you know there's an enemy worse than coronavirus. It's a disease that no mask and no drug and no vaccine can treat. And the bad news is all of us have been affected. Of course, the disease I'm referring to is sin. And here's the worst news. It's terminal. 100% of the time. The sin sickness of our heart will lead to our spiritual death. Except the great physician came to earth to heal that very sickness. And here's the thing. His cure is effective 100% of the time. I, I love the story in Matthew chapter 8. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. You know, there's this leper. And in the ancient world, if you had leprosy, it was essentially a death sentence. There was no treatment that really worked. And what is more, you were ostracized from society. But here's the thing about leprosy. If you had leprosy, and you touched somebody, you infected them with your uncleanness. In other words, the uncleanness in you was greatness when, was greater than the cleanness in them. Does that make sense? Like, it always polluted. But there's a story, and this leper comes to Jesus and says, Lord, can you cleanse me? And Jesus does something completely countercultural in that moment. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 3, Reaching out his hand, 
Jesus touched him. Insert gasp. And then he said to this leprous man, I am willing. Be clean. Here's the reality, friends. Jesus' willingness trumped everything that was in this man. Look, there is no death in you that is greater than the life that is in Christ. Jesus' life always overcomes our death. There is no brokenness in you that is greater than the wholeness that is in Christ. There is no sin in you that is greater than the cleansing that is in Christ. There is no shame in you that is greater than the acceptance that is in Christ. There is life found in Jesus, and Jesus alone. He overcomes all our badness. He overcomes all our brokenness. It is available, but here's the thing. You've got to grab it. You know, there were religious leaders in Jesus' day who were basically saying, Jesus, we don't need that. We don't need that. We're doing just fine on our own. And Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 2, it is not for those who are well who need a doctor. It is those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, here's the question I got to ask you this morning, just in all seriousness. Are you sick enough to need healing? Are you broken enough to need wholeness? Are you sinful enough to need cleansing? Look, are you dead enough to need life? Because it's available. It's available. That's why Jesus came. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So let me just close this morning by pointing the very question that the Savior asked Martha. Martha, do you believe this? Church, do you believe this? Do you believe that the life in Christ is greater than the death in you? So claim it. That's the first thing. Just grab hold of it and say, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And then two, celebrate it. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk right now, but if you've never claimed that life, would you grab a hold of it right now? Would you just simply say, Lord, my heart is dead in so many different ways, and I need life, and Jesus came to bring that life. Would you bring me from the dead? Would you roll the stone away? Would you cause me to walk in newness of life like you promised? And then if you've done that, can we just celebrate that together? Oh, it's in one sense, it is a miracle that we're gathered here today. I mean, this little scrappy Gospel Hope Church, we didn't just survive coronavirus, we thrived in coronavirus. And you know the reason? Because we ain't dead. And we're only not dead because Jesus is alive and his life is in us. So let's keep being scrappy and clinging to the life that only means the, the, the only life that is life in Christ and Christ alone. So can we celebrate that together? Let's stand on our feet and I'm going to pray and then we're just going to sing our guts out to the Lord right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus and that he lives and because he lives, we live. Oh God, we are grateful and we celebrate the resurrection of your son today and if somebody has not claimed that life that is available in Christ I pray right now by your spirit you would give them the faith to do so grab hold of that which is life
And may we celebrate it in our hearts. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's celebrate our Lord.